welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, episode 250, I had to make it a big one, I had to make it a good one, Dale Crover, one of my favorite people in music, of the Melvins, of Altamont, of uh, of uh, Nirvana, of Fecal Matter, of Dale Crover Solo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with this podcast, you can head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page and an Instagram page. All of those are run by my brother and show producer Tristan Abraham. So if you want to head over there and, and say you enjoy what he does, he books this thing and keeps this thing on the road. So... I'm, I'm going to send him an email and say thank you, Tristan. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of thank you, uh, a huge thank you for people that wonder how you can support this podcast. The best way you can support this podcast is by telling all your friends that you enjoy this podcast. You can also support this podcast by subscribing to it and rating it on your podcast listening to platform of choice or by heading over to the Turned Out of Punk Patreon page and, uh, and, and checking that out there. But speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. Uh, and between Vans and Patreon, we're able to kind of keep doing the show and keep it for free and everything like that. So, uh, and without ads beyond this thing. Uh, so, I very much appreciate that. Thank you very much for your support on both of those Vans and Patreon, respectively, for their support of this podcast. Oh. Well, we're all stuck indoors right now, so why not keep the hits coming? And here we are at episode 250. I thought I'd be hitting 250 way, way down the line, but, you know, I'm kind of keeping to trying to put out a couple of these a week at least. Big news about next week, but we'll save that for later. So today being episode 250, I decided I had to have a, you know, a, a big guest for this one. So why not go with like one of the coolest people I've gotten to meet in music? And I'm not alone in saying this. A lot of people, since I told... Uh, them that he's coming on the show have said, oh, he's amazing and had some wicked story about dealing with this guy. Dale Crover is the coolest, you know, like he's known best, I guess, as being the drummer in the Melvins. He also has played in Red Cross. He's played in uh, numerous other projects, Nirvana, Fecal Matter, Altamont, all these things. And Dale's been on the show before. Like we had uh, the whole Melvins were on the show one time, and then actually Buzz came back for a part two. But Dale was supposed to be there, but went out to get dinner and then came back and and was actually kind of legit bummed that I, you know, was wasn't able to have him be a part of that episode. So I've always wanted to have him back on, but I wanted to save it for something big, you know. So here we are, two fifty. Dale Crover's back, and oh, it's a good one. Uh, I don't think there's anything more I need to ramble on about. Um, if you have a streaming service, check out The Wrestlers because The Wrestlers is on all these streaming services and a lot of people have been hitting me up saying they've been enjoying it. So check out that TV show, The Wrestlers. That has nothing to do with Dale Crover. I just thought I'd throw it in um, just before saying, sit back, relax, and enjoy Dale Crover on Turned Out a Punk. Dale, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, as I was just warning you off air, this is going to get really nerdy. I'm, I'm very, very excited. Like I, you're one of those, my favorite people to talk to as a person, but you know, the fact that I get to, to interview you as a fan is on an, another level. Well, great. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it as well. And I don't mind being nerdy at all. Well, it's funny. Cause like before you came on the show, I've been talking to people like friends and stuff and they're like, Oh, who's coming up on the podcast. I was mentioning who I was interviewing and 
without fail, everyone I talked to that was in music that I mentioned your name to had like some like super positive interaction with you over the years, you know, be it like a DJ night with you or be it sharing a bill with you or some story they had heard about you. Like it was like, it was almost like universal. Well, great. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. At least people don't think I'm a jerk. No, no, I was going to say, you're almost like the, 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 you know, the, the patron saint of this world. So I got to start this all off. The way uh, they they all start off because last time we did it, this is your second time on the show. But uh, last time I asked you this question, Buzz kind of cut you off, so I got to ask it all over again. Which is, Dale, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, well, probably seeing it first in like magazines like Cream and things like that because they covered they kind of covered everything, you know. So I knew who the Ramones were, but never really heard them until like seeing rock and roll high school. And that would have been, I mean, that would have been before I joined the Melvins for sure. Um, I was a heavy metal kid. You know, I totally loved uh, Judas Priest, the Unleashed in the East record. And um, probably about a week after that, I heard Iron Maiden Killers. And for me, that was kind of the most uh, uh, like super aggressive music. It was just like, wow, this is totally wild you know coming from being a, a, a kid and liking kiss you know because because I'm, I'm i'm that age where, where kiss was the the band you know and i mean honestly probably the band that made me want to be in a band and, and start playing drums and playing music and stuff like that so um yeah i mean it wasn't really it wasn't until rock and roll high school but then again like some of the older kids that i was hanging out with well the, kids like teenagers or whatever i was i was the i was the younger one and i always hung out with these older kids one of them being um this guy craig wells who um eventually was a guitar player for the band metal church and and one of the other guys in metal church is kurt vanderhoof who was in the lewd oh wow yeah of course i also knew about the lewd pretty early and probably heard their first seven inch probably once or twice you know um but still not really knowing much about that stuff you know, um, and really, I mean, first punk band I ever saw was absolutely the Melvins, you know, and when I first saw them, I was like, wow, since I'd seen the Ramones, I'm like, these guys are kind of like the Ramones meets Motorhead, sort of, uh-huh. you know? Absolutely. Well, what, like going back before that, like what tree to cream magazine, like there, you know, there's a lot of other magazines on the rack and I guess, where would you have been buying cream magazine at that time? Um, the grocery store and kiss. Yeah. You know, yeah. any, any magazine that had kiss on it that, that's what i wanted <laughs> well they're all it's almost like comic book superheroes for kids like it's like the perfect gateway drug for rock and roll sure yeah exactly you know i mean i can i can still remember uh seeing them for the first time on the pollen halloween special and uh, just going what this, this is this is weird you know i mean <laughs> i mean it was like seeing you know like I mean, for me, it was, it was like, and, and I know other people my age kind of say the same thing. It's like, that was like, uh, our Ed Sullivan Beatles performance was, was the <laughs> Halloween, Halloween special. And so that, you know, I mean, of course, before that I, I was into music as a kid, I, I had Beatles and monkeys records first, yeah. hand me downs from my brothers. Yeah. Um, but then it was like, you know, kiss was kind of my own band, you know, it's like, so you know, I, th- that's that's you know definitely how I discovered Cream Magazine. It's funny because I know kids in Canada who you're hosting much loud 
way back when was kind of their Beatles on Ed Sullivan moment. You know, <laughs> that episode where you guys picked all the videos. I think oh, it was really? much louder. Was it, was it still power hour at that point? God, I don't know. Is that, that I mean, that was, uh, that was like even back in like mid nineties or so. Yeah, it was, it was super, it might've been early mid nineties. Um, yeah, it's amazing how many people I know that were metalheads that saw you guys doing that and just were like, Oh, okay. What's this? And, and, and let them down another path in the same way, I guess, kiss did for you. Oh, crazy. Uh, What did we play? I don't even remember. (laughs) Like what were the videos? I don't even remember the videos so much as like, it was good stuff. And I think it was also like, you know, definitely not, you know, not the typical loud fair, if I remember correctly. I think the things that really stood out to me though, were the interstitial segments and how weird you guys were and how different (laughs) you guys look from like quote unquote metal bands, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, it was a big moment for me, but I, it's funny. I've got a lot of friends that are like, that was, that's when everything changed for me that, that moment. So it's, it's, you know, it's good to know that that sort of thing can be passed down <laughs> to television that, yeah. rock effect. I had no idea. <laughs> um, going, going back, I guess, to, uh, to before that, like you mentioned last show, or it was kind of brought up last show that you, your mom was into rock and roll and you kind of grew up into, in like a rock and roll household. Oh, that doesn't sound right. No, um, <laughs> no. I mean, no, my parents really, I don't really remember them playing much music or anything like that. It was really more my brothers. I had two older brothers and, um, and they were the ones that were, they were the ones I got the hand-me-down Beatles records from, you know, um, or could hear things through the wall, like, Ted Nugent, (laughs) 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 you know, so, and they were much too old for kiss. So that was kind of the band that I found on my own. Yeah. And then, but yeah, I totally remember my brother, like, cause all I would play was kiss. And he's like, Hey, you might like this. And you know, this is way before he was like a, 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 a right wing, a Republican guy, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was like a, it was a Ted Nugent record. (laughs) And I was like, Oh yeah, this is really similar. And so, uh, um, you know, I was definitely into that stuff. When I was first learning to play drums, you know, Kiss and Ted Nugent were, were, were the simple enough stuff that they could, I could comprehend and play along to uh, records with, you know? Yeah. Um, and then from there, it just got heavier. You know, um, Led Zeppelin <laughs> was next. Uh, and Aerosmith, like the Aerosmith Rocks record. Um, I'm sorry, Toys in the Attic and Rocks, both mm-hmm. those records. And... Um, and then, and then I discovered heavy metal and the attitude uh, of heavy metal and the aggressiveness of the music is very similar to punk rock, you know? So it was easy for me when I saw the Melvins to, to relate the two, like, oh, these guys, you know, this, this stuff, I mean, you know, I was slightly confused that there was actually a band like that <laughs> in our, our small little weird uh, isolated area. Um, Cause they're, you know, every, every other band, was like a high school band playing cover tunes. So seeing these guys, it was like, wow, these guys are doing their own stuff. You know, this, this is, this is really cool. And they went and played in Olympia, the big, the big town of Olympia. (laughs) (laughs) You did Olympia have bands at that time? Were the blackouts from there, I guess, or, um, blackouts, I think were Seattle. They were Seattle. Okay. But, no, I mean, by the time I joined the Melvins, see, the first time I saw them was probably December of 83. Okay. And by that summer of 84, it was when they came over and asked me to join the band. And so, and between, between that time, um, 
like the first time I saw them was on this, this, uh, this, it was a local talent show of sorts that was going to be on the radio. And it was like a Christmas program and it was, uh, sort of a, uh, Calling benefit for uh, a group called the Sunshine Kids, who are uh, um, adults with uh, with uh, disabled adults <laughs> type of thing. Anyway, so they're having this 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 benefit show and inviting bands come on down and play on the radio. <laughs> like okay, so I was sixteen probably, and I was playing in a cover band. And these guys are like, oh, okay, let's go, let's go do this. Let's go do this thing. Like, okay. And so we go down there. And when we get there, these three other guys in this band are, are up on the, the bandstand playing. And that turned out to be the Melvins. And like I said, it was like, it's like, wow, these guys are playing this really fast, fast songs, really short and loud and aggressive. And right, like I said, uh, sounds like Motorhead. <laughs> Motorhead, <laughs> Motorhead meets their amount. Yeah. And, and uh, they'd play a song, and then there wouldn't be any break, and then they'd play another song. <laughs> you know, it was like whoa. Uh, and then they'd do, they'd you know, play a song and then stop, and then the radio announcer would go, "Well, that's some really interesting." What are they about? Ah! Like blasting to another song. <laughs> Is that that's the stuff that's on that ten inch right that came out? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that stuff's incredible. Like it's amazing when that came out because it's so different than the stuff that you guys would do a couple years later. But it's it's still so raging. Like it's like oh, if only that had come out as a record back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's early demos and and you know the the uh, um, the earliest demo with that lineup is is out. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, that's a seven inch, right? Mm, there's a thing called mangled demos that's like the very first melvin's demo and and goes even even earlier um like practice tapes and stuff like that so and and yeah i think there's a little bit of that performance on there um they probably would have included the whole thing but i'm sure it just sounds like a distorted nightmare <laughs> this is a digression at this point but I've, i'm just curious as a record collector do you own everything the melvin's have ever put out um, I think I might be missing one or two things. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I didn't get a copy or, or, or whatever, you know, but I mean, yeah, there's a ton of stuff. Oh, it's uncollectible. Like that's the inspiration I think for any uncollectible <laughs> band like myself. Uh, uncollectible. That that's right. Yeah. We're, like it's, we're, we're, we're the most collectible, uncollectible band there is. Exactly. Like it's like <laughs> a band that just like, it's the perfect thing for a collector because you know, it'll never be done. You know, <laughs> like there's always something out there. Um, at every turn and I, my collection compared to some is, is a, is, but a, a sliver, but I, I definitely, it's amazing. Every time I go out, you know, I can find a Melvin's record that I've not only never heard before, but never heard of before. <laughs> right. Well, we're collectors ourselves. So that's kind of where that comes from. You know, like we, the, the, we make stuff that we think other people would uh, think was, was cool. Absolutely. Um, going back, what was the kind of cover set that that cover band you were in was doing? Oh God. Um, <laughs> um, I remember that we had to do like some, one of your Canadian great bands, lover boy. Um, um, <laughs> now, like I said, I was a heavy metal kid and I was always voting for, you know, Judas priest and Iron Maiden songs, but, um, to be in a cover band and to play <laughs> high school dances, you had to have a, a you know, a, a certain repertoire. Yes, of course. Ballads and things like that. So, um, you know, we, we, not only did Stairway to Heaven, but we also did Freebird. 
Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, but, you know, this is the band I joined when I was 14. And the other, the, the other guys in the band were even a, a couple years older than me. But, uh, you know, they had, uh, they could, they could get a gig at their high school and we could make 200 bucks. So it was like, wow, <laughs> I'm a 14, 14 year old kid making, making money in the music business. All right. But, um, you know, the area that we lived in, as far as musicians goes, was pretty slim pickings. So I kind of had to play with whoever was interested. <laughs> Did you get a copy of that? Like if the Melvin's set survives, does your set survive from that show? I rem- uh, man, I wish I had a tape of it because the one thing too about this was that the Melvin's guys had, had shown up to the gig and realized that there was no PA system. And so they ran back home and got their little practice PA and brought that for the vocals. Okay. And, and we didn't know that. We just assumed that that was like, whatever, the PA system for the, for the venue. And once we had to play, we realized that our singer had to sing right into the broadcast mic. <laughs> and from what I remember, it was super out of tune and just horrible. And it was becoming a distorted mess. And then, and then uh, I remember the announcer coming on and going, well, I think that's about all for the program tonight. We're going to play a Kenny Loggins song now for you and then say goodnight to the Sunshine Kids benefit performance. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. But in a way, way you out-extreme the Melvins that night. Oh, totally. I mean, well, yeah, if you listen to that thing on the mangled, mangled demos, it's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, so, uh, where did you kind of like go from there? Like you mentioned, you know, like, were you like, I guess an instant convert at that point to, to like whatever the Melvin's trip was that they were on? I mean, no, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I, I saw them again, um, in April of 84, or maybe it was even March, they played a gig. Um, it was Metal Church's very first gig in Aberdeen, Washington. And opening up were the Melvins. <laughs> and and I was really excited because, you know, I thought they were cool from seeing them that one time. And they played. And I remember it. the venue just didn't sound good, you know, so people were kind of a little irritated by that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of their set, they had this guy that um, was somewhat of a popular guy at high school and a little bit of a class clown um, named Chris Novoselic come out and play guitar with them. And they did a, they did a, 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 a ramped up version of Cream's Sunshine for Your Love. Yeah. And, so, and then everybody loved it because they knew Chris. See, the Melvins guys were from the neighboring town of Montesano. And so nobody really, though it was only 10 miles away, nobody really knew who they were. But, you know, everybody in Aberdeen knew this big, tall, kind of goofy guy named Chris Novoselic. So everybody loved that. And, and, um, and then that was, that was that. Oh, one thing I, I should mention is that um, a couple of punk bands <laughs> that I did know at the time were, one, The Mentors. El and, Duce. And, yes. And, and the other one being Gang of Four. But at that show, Buzz had on a, a homemade mentor shirt. And I remember going to the after party that was at this hotel room and those guys were there and I, I saw him and I went up and said, Oh, Hey, I really like your shirt. You know, it was like, okay, thanks. And that was kind of, that was it for the exchange. So, and then a few months later, 
Chris Novoselic brings these guys over to my house and they're telling me that they're looking for a new drummer and wonder if, wondered if I was interested. And uh, the funny thing was that, um, well, my, my band had fallen apart and um, I used to play with this other guy too, who uh, um, he was kind of, he was older than me. He was a, uh, a, a friend's older brother, but he played guitar and kind of loved the same type of heavy metal stuff that I did, you know, Black Sabbath, Priest, Maiden, that kind of stuff. And we, well, we were a two-piece. We were, we were the, the first two-piece before the White Stripes. Uh, <laughs> we were a heavy metal two-piece, and we actually wrote some of our own songs. And uh, um, God, Do, recording, do recordings of this band survive? Mm, nah, I don't oh. think so. So we were called Special Forces. Oh, that's all. You're the original Special Forces too, because that <laughs> several punk bands have taken that, tried that, to take that too. That, I, yeah, yeah, I know. Which we had no, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, uh, awesome. Um, but anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, other than oh, I know, I know that had fallen apart too. The guy, that guy, actually, that's a pretty good story. Long story. He ended up going to jail because um, his uh, his brother had uh, stolen some blasting caps from a dynamite shack in the woods. And well, the FBI got on them and found him and he got arrested. So anyway, I had nobody to play with. And I remember, I remember uh, one day in summer, my mom saying, you got to find somebody to play with. That's not going to flake out. And that's, you know, going to do something. And literally that day, later that day, Chris Novoselic brought over buzz and Matt from the Melvins to ask me if I'd be interested in trying out for their band. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that'd be, yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> you guys. That would be really cool. I was like, wow. And my mom later was like, I didn't mean you had to do it today. But good thing you did. It kind of worked out. Yeah. I mean, it, it really did. You know, my, my, my mom, uh, uh, rest your soul, not long before she passed away, said, said to me, um, God, whoever thought that you could have a career playing drums, you know, <laughs> I'm like, well, you did. I mean, you, you know, we practiced at my house. My, my parents pitched in a couple hundred dollars so we could get our first seven inch pressed when the record label didn't have any more money. <laughs> <laughs> so they were totally supportive of what I did. Yeah. You know? Not, not necessarily big, big musical people like I, like we were talking before, but, very supportive you know also i was um i was their last kid um my mom had two boys and my dad in a previous marriage had uh, a boy and two girls so by the time i i i, I wasn't i wasn't necessarily planned <laughs> <laughs> bonus baby right right well th so they'd already dealt with having kids for a long time and so by the time i came along it was like yeah yeah, whatever. He'll work out fine. You know, <laughs> when my brothers are like, you got away with murder. There's no way we'd be able to have band practice at our house. No way. <laughs> That's how I kind of feel with the third kid showing up. So like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, Same, even, even only with two kids, it's like, we were way more worried about the, the first one on certain things than we were with the second one. Totally. A thousand percent. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so is that first Melvin's demo that comes out? I think it comes out in 85, right? The first demo. But like, did you record? How long after you joined, did you guys start recording? 
Well, actually, the re- that very first demo features Mike Dillard on drums. Oh, it's before. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's the mangled demo. That's the mangled demo, and literally, they were going when they came over to my house to talk to me. They were going the next day to record this demo. Oh, but wild. they'd kind of already decided that that you know they were starting to write more difficult material, and I think that that uh, Mike. didn't fully have a grasp of it you know Mm -hmm. um all of a sudden buzz started writing really weird stuff and and i just think it was hard for him but you know funny enough he still plays with the melvins you know as a as a matter of fact he's coming in today to do some recording with us there's a version of our band that we call the 19 melvins 1983 and it's it's as close to the original lineup as the, the band will get because uh, you know those guys don't really want to play with the first bass player anymore, and I, I think he's pretty much inactive anyway. <laughs> you know, but but whatever. Um, Mike had always remained a, a, a friend with the, with the band for sure, and um, you know even to this day, it's just like he's just one of us. You know, it's I. Whatever it is, it's like he fits in, you know. Same sense of humor. Um, we're we're super comfortable around him, and um, and it's fun <laughs> to have that version of the band is, is pretty fun. And I get to play bass. <laughs> that's what like that's what I love so much. Well, like there's so many things I love about your band, obviously. But like the thing I love about it is like you know, so few bands kind of play with the form as much as you do. And like there's like you know, like you'll bring in the bass player change and it'll be a completely different dynamic you'll have like the melvins 1983 you know even the stuff you did with jello like it's just like a band that really kind of like gets that this is like the artistry is the whole thing from packaging to presentation to performance and just always stays fresh and interesting yeah yeah we definitely try (laughs) and we're not afraid to try something dumb (laughs) or or, or to have really really (laughs) ideas that just seem kind of crazy and then actually execute them, you know. Whereas most people just think like, "Ah, oh, that's stupid. That's a dumb. That's that's a dumb idea." But we're 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 not afraid of any any weirdo ideas that we come up with. We're willing to try anything, pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, a conversation that we had that really stands out to me for like forever was when, I think it was when we were in Australia on tour, and Lulu had just come out, and I was going for an easy punch oh, right. I was going for that easy punchline clowning on it like everyone does. And you you kind of stopped me and you're like, what a like, you know, what a bold statement for these guys to make. Like they don't have to do this. And like yet they wanted to do it. And you like kind of sat me down and talked to me about that record. Yeah, I thought that was kind of the coolest thing that either one of them could do at that point. <laughs> you know, though I mean, I'm not sure how how the Metallica guys feel about it now. And I don't think like I've even looked for that on iTunes and stuff like that. And I don't know that it's even on there. Wow. It's so weird that like, here's this thing that they made. It's one of also the final things that Lou Reed did. Yeah. And, and yet they're, they're more embarrassed by that than like that, that weird Bob rock record that they made the movie about. Yeah. Or, or the movie itself. <laughs> the <you> movie know? <laughs> itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, <laughs> um, oh man. Buzz, Buzz has a good story about, about uh, going to that movie. You know, when it first came out, like yeah. he and our, our old bass player, Kevin Ramanis, they went together. And, you know, within the first couple minutes, they were just starting to laugh, you know, because <laughs> it was it was just, just so goofy. Mm-hmm. And and people around them at first were just kind of like, well, you know, like a little bit offended, like, what are you doing? And then, but, you know, 
but halfway through the movie, everybody in the place was just <laughs> busting a gut. <laughs> Couldn't believe how 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 ridiculous the stuff was, and, and just how lost those guys were from from what they were. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's <sighs> it's a weird thing for a, like a management company to let a band put out. You know, like you think uh, yeah. there'd be enough people being like, ah, guys, this might not be the best look. It, yeah. I, but man, what a great film! <laughs> oh, what a great film! Oh, that's still yeah, definitely. It's like one of the one of the top ten rock documentaries of all time. Hey, I think you're right. You know, I could I could certainly watch that at almost any time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the first recordings you do then is is do you play on the you play on the Deep Six compilation? Yeah, I think that would that would be more or less the first thing we did. Um, I know that before that we had. Um, we were able to go to uh, um, Olympia, Evergreen State College there. They had a recording school class type of thing. And um, somehow we got invited to go up there and kind of be guinea pigs for some recordings. And I, I don't know where those are, but, um, you know, and it wasn't recorded. It wasn't the best recording, but certainly there were some songs that that uh, are unreleased that that I don't think anybody's really ever heard. There's like, that might be what I was thinking of. Cause there's a tape that's listed on your discogs that has a, that's a Melvin's, but it's a bootleg of an 85 recording session. So that might that's, be, that's it. probably about right. That's probably about right. Oh, that's and, wild. Uh, okay. From what I remember, uh, certainly vocally, uh, you could tell that we were into like Hellhammer and, and Celtic Frost, you know, cause they're very like, very rough and, and, and guttural, <laughs> but yeah, good stuff. Where were you hearing about that stuff at that time? Um, I think that, uh, you know, especially with, 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 uh, some of those bands and venom too. It's like, those were kind of like the heavy metal bands that, that the punk rockers liked, mm -hmm. you know, those guys knew about it somehow. Um, you know, like, Aberdeen, where we're from, where I'm from, and even Montesano, there's no record stores. You know, there was no way to get any of any of these records at all unless you went to Olympia or Seattle. You know, and a lot of it, you know, I'm sure you've heard Buzz, and maybe he's even said this when in interviews. Um, uh, he he also discovered punk rock through Cream Magazine, uh, but he actually had the money to order records. <laughs> you know, I didn't have money to buy records at all. Yeah. Um, and but he he would order things out of the back of uh, probably out of the back of cream. Yeah, that's what I think he know. said last time on the show. Right, mm -hmm. and it would take months to show up. But anyway, that's kind of how he discovered that stuff. Yeah. Bands like the Sex Pistols and stuff like that. Uh, it's also it's it felt like Pacific Northwest. The metal stuff was a lot closer to the punk stuff. Like as you're saying, Metal Church and Lude sharing members, and like later on, you know, the crossover that would kind of happen. Even bands yeah. like Enemy and and Blasphemy from Vancouver. Yeah, you know even. Speaking of Metallica, I mean, I think probably the the one show that happened in Seattle that that uh, uh, did cross over was the first time those guys came to the Northwest. Mm -hmm. So it was on the Ride the Lightning tour, and um, and they were good. I, I liked them. I you know, thought, thought they were pretty good. Who did they play with? They played with Armored Saint. I think that was it. Just okay. those two bands, Armored Saint, who I didn't like as well as Metallica. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I did at the time really like Metallica a lot and, and, you know, because I was into the new wave of British heavy metal stuff and they also liked that stuff. 
you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, um, um, but yeah, that show in particular, uh, I just remember it being like, there's a ton of punk rockers here and a ton of heavy metal kids here. And, and yeah, this is the crossover right here. <laughs> Were you playing in fecal matter at the same time? Cause the demos comes out 86, the same time as the first Melvin single, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think I probably started playing. I mean, okay. So, well, I mean, we, we could talk about Kurt Cobain certainly if you want. Well, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not, no, I'm not going to like put you in that interview. Oh no, thing. it's, it's totally fine because I mean, he's, he's, he's a part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> but I just like don't want, like, obviously I, I feel like probably you get bothered for, bothered for that a lot. And like, this is meant to be a lot more fun and so but if you want to talk about it like you know but i just was wondering about the recording session stuff but yeah like whatever you want to talk about obviously well he he was starting to hang around with the band pretty early on after i joined in fact weeks after i joined when the guys came over to my house to practice they said hey uh we were just on the bus and we saw this 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 kid that we knew from montesano he used to go to school there he's a little bit younger than us but he's your age and evidently he goes to your high school and um he's a musician too but he's a cool guy and and you should uh you should uh, look him up <laughs> like okay and so and, and i i believe that those guys probably also said to kurt like oh our drummer goes to your school blah 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 and so literally the next day at the smoker shed in aberdeen washington weatherwax high school there was kurt cobain <laughs> and he was an, an instantly likable guy and um, I became friends with him right away, you know? And so from that, he was hanging around with us, coming to practice all the time. And um, that's when we kind of discovered like, oh, this guy, he plays music too and writes songs. And he had uh, little little demo tapes that he'd made himself mm -hmm. of songs. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, not long after hanging out, we kind of contemplated having him play in the band for a minute but you know back then uh, the problem being he didn't really have any gear <laughs> you know no amp he had a guitar but no real amp so it was like oh i guess that kind of kills that idea <laughs> but anyway we were we were we still friends and and eventually uh he's like hey would you want to help me uh record some of my songs you know my my aunt lives up near seattle and she's got uh a four track studio, a four track, uh, tape machine and in her bedroom. And we can, we could, uh, we could record. And so we did, I helped him work out of the song, out a bunch of his songs. And, um, I, I played drums as well as a bass because Kurt's left-handed and the bass wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and we made, we made this, this demo tape and that, that led to him, uh, uh, well, that led to our other friend who, who kind of knew Kurt, but not really, Chris Novoselic, hearing the tape and deciding, like, wow, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd play music with you. And so that was that. <laughs> that's, how, that's pretty much how that started. And at the same time, I guess there's also that, you know, like the Deep Six compilation stuff, I guess you're recording around that exact same time too. Um, and there's all those bands on that compilation. Was that like a scene that you guys were kind of becoming a part of, or is that like something that's kind of constructed by that compilation? No, 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 not at all. Those were, those were definitely all the bands and local bands that we were playing with. Okay. Um, Soundgarden for sure. Green River, Malfunction, Human. I think we play, we've, we've played with every band on that compilation, you know, more than once. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was, that was probably, yeah, those are probably, um, the most popular 
underground bands in Seattle at the time. <laughs> I, what, like, what would have been what would have been the first band from that kind of scene that you kind of had encounters with that you remember? Like, probably the U Men, I would imagine. Mm, maybe. Well, for me, yeah, just personally, I think yeah. I think the fir- the first band that I was like, hey, oh, this is this sounds kind of cool was Soundgarden. Okay, yeah, you know, um, and I still remember the 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 one song that was like, oh, these guys are like. Uh, punk rock but they like led zeppelin oh that's really cool you know the thing about that area or at least about that time period is that all the bands were kind of different they mm-hmm. had their own sound mm-hmm. um it wasn't you know it wasn't just we like hardcore and that's it it was like everybody just think just the time being you know 1984 for whatever reason in the northwest people liked all kinds of stuff <laughs> not yeah. just not i mean it was it all it all it felt to me like that there was all these different genres of music happening, but it could all be under this 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 umbrella that's considered punk rock, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought that was that was really cool. Like, wow, this is really diverse and and open minded and and really cool. And I realized not long after that that really wasn't the case anyplace else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's funny you say that because like, and I would even open it up to say maybe it's the Pacific Northwest as a whole. Like, you know, you have bands like the Wipers and Poison Idea that sound nothing alike and, and all the right. other bands that were coming out of Portland. And it's like, it's like, yeah, like, and I, you know, once again, we talked about this last show and the idea that maybe it's because bands weren't coming as much that things developed in its own way. But it's like, yeah, it's so awesome that you have so many different manifestations of this genre there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true that bands, Seattle was a long ways away. I mean, um, a lot of bands didn't come there just because of that. Yeah. Uh, Unless they're local bands or whatever. Um, But, you know, bands from LA would come up and play. You know, I know that Black Flag came up early. Flipper always tried to come up there, but for whatever reason, they never made it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long drive. (laughs) That, yeah, and probably a bunch of other things. I guess, yeah, Uh, the, the things you're bringing along for the drive could also prevent you getting there, I imagine. Yeah, but you know that's Flipper. So yeah, yeah. Um, what about RKL? Because I know you guys do that tour, and they were on Alchemy Records. Like, did was that through Alchemy Records that connection happened, or did you? No, Alchemy didn't really exist yet. Okay. Um, that happened. We met up with those guys because we were friends with a um, band from uh, Calgary called Beyond Possession. Oh, it was through the yeah because yeah, we talked about that tour last time, so it was actually through the Beyond Possession guys that that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were going to, we were hooking up with Beyond's Possession, playing a few shows. It was like, I think the tour, for whatever reason, started in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that uh, we came down to San Francisco and met up with them, and they were playing a show at the On Broadway, which was, um, I think that's right, either above or below the Mabuhe Gardens in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they were, those guys were doing a show. It was them and DRI and maybe even verbal abuse. I can't quite remember, but we tried to get on this bill and promoter. It's like, nah, nah, you guys aren't <laughs> playing. No. Nope. All right. And so our, uh, our next gig was, yeah. in I think El Paso, Texas. So we drove from LA and we actually drove out to, uh, to Phoenix and uh, to, to find our friend who had moved there, Chris Novoselic. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to stop by his house on the way to, to El Paso. 
And um, this was back before cell phones. And I don't even think he had a telephone. <laughs> it's funny because we were just talking about this the other day. And finally, we, you know, I, I think we'd, we'd, Buzz had probably wrote him a letter saying, hey, we're coming. We're going to be here. Oh, maybe this day, maybe that day. But anyway, we show up at his house probably midnight and it, and it's it's the middle of summer and it's you know still 100 degrees it's arizona and, um, yeah oh and the reason we showed up so late was because our our van was was uh, uh overheating because <laughs> it was super hot so we could only drive at night so we get to his house hang out for a little bit and we decide that we better start driving before it gets hot <laughs> before daylight and so we ended up driving all the way to el paso texas Oh, so you didn't even stay for like? The no, way. no, we didn't even stay. Uh, we just was just yeah, we just went for it, <laughs> and um, and we show up in El Paso and at at this club that was like, from what I can remember, was basically a burned out building. I don't even know how they had power, um, and uh, that's where we met the RKL guys, and uh, uh, Beyond Possession didn't make it because their engine of their van blew up. So they ended up being stranded in San Francisco and they had this whole tour with these guys booked and they were basically, they couldn't do it. Yeah. And, and so the, the RKL guys were nice and they, they liked us and uh, liked the band and they're like, well, you know, we've got this tour set up for two bands. Why don't you just guys just uh, take their place and come with us? <laughs> so we did. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if that was a mistake or not. Um, eventually we were the only band left on the tour because after a while, even those guys dropped off the tour and went home. Well, they're, they're to me, one of the most fascinating bands in the history of, of music, like on, on a lot of levels, like fat Mike, when he was on the show, described them as the only band in the history of rock and roll with a quote, a prostitute and a pimp in the band at the same time. (laughs) And also, uh, like, you know, like Josh Brolin was the original drummer, right? Like, it's like, Oh, that's yeah, that's right. I forgot that there was some weird connection there. Yeah. And like members of Lagwagon came out of that band and they're like the huge sonic influence on no effects. Like, it's just like, what a, what a bizarre band, but like, what were those shows like on that tour? Um, well, for one sparsely attended and I mean, yeah. for us, for us, nobody liked what we were doing at all. You know, it was like, you guys get your long haired hippie shit out of here. Um, yeah, but I mean, so yeah, going from Seattle where it was like, people liked us and, and liked what we were doing and they were pretty open-minded to, uh, you know, going places where they, they still wanted to hear uh, f- fast, loud, hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, and Melbourne certainly weren't that, you know, I mean, beyond possession were sort of that, you know, but they're actually very good at what they did. You know, a great Bomber, band. Was, a, Bomber was a great drummer. Yeah. You know? And, um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, those guys definitely, I mean, it was their tour. So of course they, they fared, they fared pretty well compared to us, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was still it was it was still a fiasco most of the time. I, I think they even named it the Disaster Tour. <laughs> so it was you end up being the only band left on their tour. Yeah, eventually they dropped <laughs> off. Like we had, we were, I remember we were on our way to, I think Baltimore, and somehow we made a phone call and found out that the, that the gig was canceled. And the the guy that was booking this whole tour was this guy from New York named Johnny Stiff. Uh-huh. And um, we called him, and he's like, "Yeah, well, 
you know, why don't you guys just come up to New York? Come up here. That show's canceled. And come down to St. Mark's Place. I'm going to be out. I'm going to be hanging out all night down there. And you know, just ask around for me. You'll find me. And, you know, like basically saying that we could come stay at his house. <laughs> yeah. We'd never been to New York before. You know, I mean, we'd, we'd never been anywhere before. <laughs> this is our first time doing anything, being out of the, out of, out of the, you know, we'd been down the West Coast a little bit, but we'd never been down South mm-hmm. before. And that was certainly eye-opening going there for the ver- very first time. And so, so was going to New York, you know? So basically we went, found our way to New York, went down to St. Mark's place and it was like a packed Friday night. And, uh, we're walking around kind of asking people where this guy might be. And of course we never, we never find him. And we ended up staying, sleeping in our, in our van right on St. Mark's place for that night. <laughs> and, and that was a very different Lower East Side than it is today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's back when we had a, a, a big kiss mural that, that uh, Kurt Cobain had, had drawn in Sharpie on our van. Along yeah. with a bunch of other goofy shit, and uh, but I remember a guy that kind of looked like Johnny Thunders come up to us and go, "Hey, why you guys got kissed on the side of your van? I just saw Paul Stanley down the street eating at a pizza joint." <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, th- this was like '86. So having Kiss on the side of your van, you know, even even liking Kiss then. <laughs> <laughs> Was was uh, uh, you know a head scratcher for most people? Yeah, we were, we, we were still flying the kiss flag. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because that mural on the side of your van has come up on this podcast since Jerry A. Really? Up. Yeah, Jerry A. On his episode, because um, what record is it? I'm, I'm blanking on what record it was. It was like a, a specific callback to a certain record, right? Oh yeah, it was it was um, it was the first Kiss record. <laughs> That's it. And, and and Jerry has like something about that record where it's like a, a trigger <laughs> or something in his head. And he remembers the first time he met you guys. He came over and was went up to talk to you guys afterwards and just like saw this mural on the side <laughs> of your van. And was like, oh my god, nice mural. And you're like, oh yeah, this kid over here painted it or drew it. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> So wait, was, was, was he, did he like kiss or hate kiss? He has a weird relationship with kiss, as you can imagine, a complicated relationship with kiss, but there's there's something about that record and that art, which he does not, does not sit well with them for some reason. He was just Uh, like, he's like, I remember just being frozen there, fixated on this drawing on the side of their van. Uh, It's probably why we did it was to piss people off. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also it's funny. There's a lot of, like re-listening to that episode. It's such an early one. Um, that we, that we got to, that I got to do with you guys, but there's like so many stuff that so many things that you guys kind of mentioned that have been kind of called back to on other episodes, including like you guys bring up DOA's manager and you guys are just like, uh, and like, since then he's been brought up several times on this show as being somewhat of a, a dubious figure on the scene. Uh-huh. So it's, it's interesting how many things I've kind of like learned about since that first episode through no, doing this funny. podcast. Funny. Did you guys have the CZ seven inch on tour on that very first, uh, tour we, only? yeah, we did. We did, you know, that had just come out, but you know, that, see, that was supposed to be a, a full length record. And that's when the, uh, um, the label just didn't have any money. <laughs> uh, part, I, I don't know. I mean, they were, you know, yeah, they were the same ones that put out the deep six. And yeah. after we'd done that, that's when they're like, Hey, we guys want to do a full record. And we're like, yeah, that'd be great. And, um, we'd actually recorded the thing twice. And, um, I mean, it's, it's like a live in the studio record. It wasn't, you know, it's, 
straight to two track. And we did it twice because the first time we recorded, uh, Matt had broken a bass string and just changed the one string instead of changing all the strings. And so uh, there's, you can, you can tell like one string's brighter than everything else. And, and so we recorded it and then they're like, ah, you know, I, I think we could probably do a better job of recording this. Let's do it again. And so we did, and then that's what came out. Um, but since, since we did that, they didn't have enough money to put out a full length. So, and barely enough money for the seven inches. Why my my parents kicked in? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do you remember that scene in hype when that dude's like cutting up those flyers, being like, "This flyer's worth four hundred dollars." Oh yeah, right. Up. I hope he right. gave your parents back the money out of some of those flyers before he cut the other ones up. I definitely paid her back eventually. Okay, good. Well, I hope you got the paid back did. then. I think eventually, you know, um, yeah, I can't remember. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, we probably yeah. sold our own copies or whatever, but, um, but yeah, anyway. Oh, and then eventually when we re re released that thing, we listened back to the tapes and we're like, you know what, even though that first tape, the first go around has the, the weird bass string, it sounds better. You know, sonically sounds better. So I think we re-released it with the original recording. Oh, really? So the re-release is the is another recording. I think so. I mean, they're, ah. I think they're they're probably both on there because there's right an now. eleven song version from back in the day too. That like I think came in ninety one. I think CZ Records did the the seven inches a twelve inch with I think three bonus tracks or four bonus tracks. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but that that would be that first that second session. I think so. I'd have to listen to it. <laughs> this is what I'll do on my other footnotes podcast where we get really nerdy about this shit and go through uh, recording histories and stuff like that. So this will be definitely a good talking point on that. Did you meet the alchemy dude through that tour that you did with uh, RKL? It was an earlier one. We had gone down to San Francisco and played some shows and I'm trying to think, Oh, I know what we were doing. We, uh, it was um, like December of, 85 we went down we had like a show show or two around san francisco and then um, a show in la um, a couple shows in la or at least around the area and uh, um we ended up meeting uh yeah the guy from alchemy victor, victor hayden um after we played at this place in um in uh, uh Near near uh, uh, Berkeley, California, and it was this uh, w little warehouse called New Method, and and that's where uh, um, uh, Scott from Neurosis lived there, and kind of the first time we met him. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the this guy Victor Hayden saw our band, and he was definitely a bit older than than most of the most of the kids hanging around at this place, um, but you could tell he was kind of like an arty guy, you know. <laughs> He was our Andy Warhol, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was really interested in the band and what we were doing. And I mean, by that point we we're, yeah, we were, we were playing weird, heavy stuff. Um, and it was different than what most bands were doing. And he wanted to start a record label and wanted to know if we were interested in being one of the bands. We're like, yeah, because that, at that time, nobody was really, it was hard for us to like find somebody that wanted to put records out. Yeah. You know, there, there was really not much interest. Yeah, as far as we could tell, um, which is funny because coming from from that area, I mean, you know, though we're from Aberdeen, the Melvins are kind of got their start in Olympia 
you know, as, at least far, as far as like playing punk rock shows. So, you know, there was K records there and, you know, we're kind of surprised that, that they never showed much interest in doing a record with us. Well, I guess you guys have been so much harder, right? Like they only put out really soft kind of stuff, right? I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, beat happening and mecha normal and, and, and bands. Yeah. <laughs> Olympia bands. Yeah. Olympia yeah. bands. Olympia bands. You know? exactly. um, it's, yeah. It's like, it's like a thing, you know, it's kind of like, uh, how do I describe it? I mean, it's, it's like, like, uh, take Sunday morning by the velvet underground and that's what Olympia sounded like. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of it. You know, it was kind of, kind of the vibe sort of. <laughs> it's funny. Like once again, this has been called back to, again on the show uh several times like by different people saying that they went to olympia and yeah like it was just a, it's a, such a distinct vibe and i could just see the melvins not finding as much kind of home there as you would ultimately at like you know like you look at neurosis uh in no effects like um uh rkl like all those kind of or not even rkl but like operation ivy like there's just so much weirdness and different kind of sounds going on in san francisco yeah yeah or bay area yeah, i guess right, right but i mean still they liked us i mean i mean it wasn't like it wasn't like we didn't fit in i mean we were different yeah. but but they liked us <laughs> so i'm just kind of you know thinking about it later we're like how come no how come those guys never wanted to do a record with us or anything it's really weird well their loss you know i guess so i mean you know maybe it worked out for the best or whatever i don't really know i mean you know <laughs> it would have been it would have been different like i guess like you know, like, I, I guess the Seattle area kind of catches up to you guys. And, and ultimately there are bands doing kind of like more aggressive, heavy stuff and it becomes a thing. But, you know, it just felt like, uh, I don't know, like the, st- the scene that when you get down to the Bay Area and down, down south, there's just like between the slap ham stuff that's going on and the kind of power violence thing and the stuff at the Gilman and stuff at New Method. Like it just, it just feels like that's like a real like bubbling up of like punk culture at that time sure (laughs) (laughs) you know and then eventually we did move to san francisco and and um you know played played gilman and and you know we're we're somewhat involved in that scene a little bit you know yeah we got a slap ham record one of the first slap ham records that oh yeah totally i mean once we moved there um chris dodge is one of the one of the first guys we met and he he showed interest right away and was writing for maximum rock and roll and did a big interview with us and um yeah and then eventually he started his record label he might have even had it going at the same time but we we became friends with chris pretty pretty quickly after we moved there i think you're the second release i think i think you did that piss happy children uh infest split and then i think the melvin's uh live uh flexi is the second thing it might be yeah yeah probably right (laughs) yeah (laughs) live live at gilman street yeah, live. Well, like, so did you guys find like when you got down there that you were kind of fitting in more? Because I guess you're leaving Seattle and stuff's already going at that point. Kind of. I mean, really, by the time when when we left, or even when we were living there, um, it, all ages shows were not happening in Seattle. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was because of uh, this nightclub there called Scoochies was like a teen dance club had some kind of problem, police problem. Um, or, or you know, drug thing going on down there, and so uh, Seattle in the city they banned all teen dance clubs. Not that would include any kind of shows. So things were happening more in Tacoma, and then in Seattle it was it was bars, which we could play. I could play, 
but since I was underage, I had to immediately leave after I was done. I couldn't stay in the bar. Okay. So, um, it just kind of was, there was a place called Gorilla Gardens before that, and that closed down. And, um, it just, it was just difficult. It's like we weren't, yeah. we could play shows, but it, we weren't really making money. I mean, it would be a hundred bucks a show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, eventually when we decided to get out of town or at least out of Aberdeen, it was like, well, we could move to Seattle, but we'd been down to San Francisco, recorded our record there, had met, had met the alchemy people and, uh, the clown alley people who, both of those people in that band eventually became bass players in the band. <laughs> I uh, always forget about Clown Alley, but they're another really fantastic band for that scene. Right. And so, you know, we decided that, well, California's pretty nice. <laughs> 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 so, so we ended up making the move and pretty much starting all over. We canned our bass player and uh, just because he and, uh, he and, Buzz had gone to school together and they were certainly growing apart and, um, you know, we wanted to do different things and, and, um, and so that was that. Yeah. The band, the band kind of took a hiatus for a bit and kind of split up to regroup. And in between that time, Matt got asked to join Mudhoney. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's when he ended up moving to Seattle or at least staying in Aberdeen for a while. And then we ended up moving to San Francisco and completely starting over. And, um, yeah, we pretty much had to, to start from, from zero and we started playing Gilman street and, you know, getting opening gigs here and there at clubs around town. And then, um, eventually there was a club in San Francisco called the covered wagon saloon. And there was a girl that booked there and, and she started booking gigs for us. So we play every couple months there and eventually we met, uh, uh, let me back up a bit because there was a girl that used to work at this place uh, that we knew um, uh, named, uh, 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 damn, I'm trying to think of her nickname. Anyway, she was named, her name was Stephanie. She was eventually the guitar player in Seven Year Bitch. Oh, yeah, okay. And, and she knew us from Seattle and had also moved to San Francisco. And she's the one that hooked us up with Tom Flynn and Boner Records. And she's also the one that hooked us up with getting gigs at this place. So yeah, like it's, it's uh, cause it, you go down there and it really feels like that's when the band really gets going on, um, you know, like, like, uh, you know, just consistent LP output and, and becoming the band, I guess you are now, is that what it felt like internally or no? You mean, uh, I, well, definitely it was kind of a struggle cause we did have to start over, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Um, but then once we did hook up with Tom, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was great because we could put records out. <laughs> He'd give us money to go make records, you know? And, um, he was totally honest and really nice and liked our band. And, um, uh, I mean, we, he, he still puts those records out that we made, that we made with him, even though his label, uh, doesn't really function and put out new stuff. You know, the, the old catalog is still available. And, um, we always felt that, that he, he, put our records out at a time when nobody else would and he always paid us and we still get paid from those records and there would be no reason for us to take those records away and go put them out with anybody else. You know, uh, if, if anything, our band's loyal, 
You know, we're loyal, we're loyal to people that are good to us. You know, we've, we've had a long relationship with, uh, with, uh, uh, Ipecac records now, you know, it's well over 20 years at this point. And, um, same, the same goes with, uh, the, the person that books the band, you know, we've been working with him for a long time. Amphetamine reptile too. Um, Amrep too. We still put out stuff with him, even though his label isn't really, what you know it, it's changed it, yeah 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 they're it, it's it, they don't put out a lot of new stuff but but uh um when they do it's artwork that tom does tom has from amrep you know his artwork and it's usually limited edition stuff that's cool stuff you can only really get online it's it's like uh but it's you know like you said like you're a band that i think you know as a band's band in the way that you do business like you know just like if people do right by you guys they're they're okay and you're you're never gonna, totally we're totally never, loyal yeah and it, it feels like you know and, and i guess you know i'm certainly there's labels that you've dealt with i'm sure that you're like never again <laughs> let's move on oh yeah that. yeah i mean yeah sure i mean we've been burned and you know it's, it's, it's the story of uh of the musician's life you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> unfortunately yeah. um another thing that's come up you know, uh, years ago I interviewed Dave Grohl and I, then, uh, Brian Walsby has been on this podcast and both of them tell the story about actually getting the call from you to recruit them to be in Nirvana. Um, was Brian the first guy you called? Cause Brian kind of tells it like you called him first and then called Dave and damn, Dave- I, ba- I barely remember, <laughs> but that could be true. Um, yeah, w- weird. Well, I don't know because you know, when I, uh, okay, so they had Chad in the band, right? For yeah. a while. Yeah. And then um, they fired him. And then right after that happened, uh, they got offered to do a West Coast tour with Sonic Youth. And that's when those guys called me up telling me, like, we got this tour. We just fired Chad. Do you want to fill in? I'm like, yeah, sure. And um, that's when there was talk about, you know, we might want you to record our next record and stuff too. Um, yeah, t- totally. In between that conversation and the, by the time they actually came down to San Francisco to rehearse for the tour, they had already recruited Danny from Mudhoney to be in the band and even had already started recording with him. Um, but I think since they'd already offered me this, you know, I was, you know, and already committed to it, uh, I was doing it. So, so great, you know, fine. Um, no, no worries. Mm-hmm. At the time, I think Mudhoney was you know, possibly breaking up and that's it's why they got Danny to play with them. So while they were down rehearsing for the Sonic Youth tour, Scream, Washington DC band Scream, were in town playing some shows. And um, I'd, I'd seen them the night before those guys showed up into town, the Nirvana guys showed up into town and they were really great. You know, and we'd played shows with those guys before and knew those guys and we knew Dave. And while they were in town, like, you guys gotta, go, we gotta go see gotta go see this band they're really good and so take them down there and um i know i remember kurt saying something like oh i'd seen those guys um up in olympia recently you know and i remember telling him how i thought dave was a great drummer but him thinking that he wasn't for whatever reason Mm -hmm. i remember him saying like i kind of felt like he ran out of gas or something at the end of the set and i'm like doesn't really sound like Dave at all. You know, anyway, I took him, we went to the show and they saw them and, and they're, then they were just like, Oh wow, that guy is a really good drummer. 
you know, do you think, do you think that, you think that he'd play with us? I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, that, their band's really good. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know if he would quit and join your guys' band. I have no idea. Um, and then <laughs> not too long after that gig, uh, Dave called up our house saying that Scream were stranded in Los Angeles. The bass player had taken all their stuff and split and went and sold it for crack. <laughs> yeah. And they were stranded there. And then that's when see, he was talking on the phone with Buzz, and that's when Buzz said, well, there's these friends of ours that have this band from Seattle called Nirvana, and they're, they were interested in your drumming. They really liked you. And so that's how they hooked up, hooked up from there. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, uh, I feel bad for Danny <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because, you know, and I mean, and I, I guess it's, it's more or less like style wise, Danny's definitely a different drummer. You know, he's kind of more jazzy kind of Mitch Mitchell style, which I really love that style. But, um, you know, I think after playing with me that, they decided that they really needed somebody that was, that was a heavier hitter. You know, I think they even tried to like get him to like use a big drum set. Like they had their, own, the, the band had their own drum set that they bought. That was like, you know, the, the big, huge black flag or John Bonham sized drums. Yeah. And Danny was just, yeah, it's not me, man. This is not me, you know, but that was, that was definitely Dave, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing how like swapping out the drummer, and the guitarist changes things so much in a band, but like if you swap totally. out the bass player, you still obviously changes things majorly, but like it's still able to retain that essence, which is I think why it works so well the way you guys do things. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, um, and certainly we've we've enjoyed playing with everybody that we've ever that's ever been in the band. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, whatever for whatever reason, people get kicked out of the band or or whatever. It's, it's, it's not their playing, you know, it's just, it's just dealing, dealing with whatever other stuff comes along with it, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and of course being in a band isn't the easiest thing, you know? No, it never is. It never is. But like you guys have this relationship, right? And it's like more than any, cause it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's the two of you. Yes. Yes. And you know, um, it's been ever since uh, Kevin Romanis has been out of the band. <clears throat> you know, we we had already been through a few bass players before him, and um, we really liked Kevin. And then uh, he was uh, he just uh, ended up having some substance abuse problems and really just was ruining things. Was ruining himself, and then that's when we fired him. And we're just that one really hurt for whatever reason, you know, because. We played with him for a while and we're really invested. And then, you know, here we are. Fuck. Now we got to find another bass player again. You know? So that's kind of when we decided to completely redo things. We got the big business guys to play with us. But, you know, also they were, had their band going and we thought their band was really cool. So the way that we set things up was like, look, we might play with some other people. We like playing with you guys, but. We want to be. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do, and we don't want you or anybody else to be offended if we decide that we're going to do something different. So, and that's the way we've left it ever since. 
And it's been fine. And it's been really fun because we've gotten to play with, you know, those guys, Cody and Jared. Uh, we got to play with Jeff Pincus from Butthole Surfers, you know, and, um, and now we're playing with Steve, Steve McDonald from Red Cross, who's, who's just a, 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 an amazing bass player. It's funny. Cause like, obviously playing with Pincus, like I love the menace that the band had. But yeah, and now, he's great. You know, oh, but, incredible! Pinkus, Pinkus is a great, great bass player too, man. I mean, <clears throat> we did the tour last year. We had where we had both of those guys playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was massive. <laughs> well, and it's funny because like when Pinkus played, like I really thought it brought out the menace of the Melvins and the sinister kind of like you know like the stuff that would be more in in kin with the butthole surfers kind of world. Yeah, and then when Steve McDonald plays with you guys, it really brings out that kiss. For sure. For sure, and like obviously the cover helps too, but and 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 is is uh, just his presence on stage. Yeah, just totally, like, man. <laughs> I mean, funny because uh, the first time I ever saw Red Cross was um, uh, well, the first time they came to the Northwest. They played this show in Tacoma um, at the Crescent Ballroom, which was um, there was the summer where all these shows were happening, you know. Um, uh, great shows like the butthole surfers came and they played with like St. Vitus wow, yeah. was opening and then probably a local band. Like I, I can't remember who was opening that show. Um, and then uh, there was another show with, with poison idea headlining and we were the band that got to open that show. And that was totally crazy. That's when Jerry a was blowing those big, huge uh, fireballs and they, <laughs> It hit the hit the ceiling of this place and mushroom out, and it was just like, oh shit! <laughs> Those guys were just fucking dangerous and and insanely good. <laughs> um, and then Red Cross had, had just put out the Neurotica record, and we're coming to town and and. Um, we were already fans of those guys and that was certainly a show that every band wanted to play. Um, we didn't get that one. We, we got the poison idea show, but, um, it was, uh, red cross and, and I think it was green river Soundgarden, maybe even malfunction. Um, but, uh, man, red cross came on and just like blew, blew the doors off the place. But, um, mm. you know, instead of being that menacing band, like poison idea was, they were these, happy guys that were just like you know from california good vibes and and i i remember even seeing the nirvana guys there and they're like why are these guys so happy <laughs> what's what's the deal and i'm like southern california surfer guys i don't know man you know but you know thinking about that way later it's like oh they were talking about steve <laughs> you know it's like yeah. he's just that dude it's just like that's his that's his world right there is right on that stage you know and he's just like the happiest dude the, 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 you know i mean um yeah it's, it's his energy just it's amazing you know <laughs> oh it's incredible it's incredible to watch yeah. him like play with you guys and just like the way and the way i just think it's great to see like even big business and our big melvin story where like that the way like you guys adapt and just changes who you are as a band too. Yeah. Well, it's funny now because I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed because I don't get to see, I get, I, I, I see the backside of Steve. <laughs> and it's funny because I was just watching some video, I think yesterday I'm like, Oh wow. Oh shit. He's really exciting to watch. I mean, I knew that already, but <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's really, you know, just, I was, I was just laughing at, at his, uh, his, his, I love his stage moves. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like at least you get to see that ass shake, and you don't have to see something like my ass shake, like poor Jonah has to put up with. Oh come on, man, that'd be fine. <laughs> okay, well, okay, well, okay, well, one day I'll subject you to it, but definitely, it's 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 yeah, like it's such a I don't know, it's just and it's it's great to when you do two two different bass players to see kind of like how that can happen in an instant, you know, like on, like you can just switch it out and it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's another band. now. Yeah. It's funny. Cause every time we do that, somebody always complains like, Oh, I liked it a lot better when they had this guy. And it's like, <laughs> no, you didn't. Everybody complained when we had that guy. And now that, we got, now that he's gone, we got this guy complaining now. So, you know, do you, do you find that early on even too? like, do you look at the bass players that you had at different times and how it changed the sound? Like even before this was a conscious thing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think early on though, most of the bass playing was just kind of following what the guitar does. You mm-hmm. know, I don't, we didn't really have a bass player that did a bunch of runs until Mark was in the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he was, mm-hmm. he, he started doing more fancy playing, I guess. But even, I guess that would dictate the sound too. If like, someone's just like following along and not necessarily trying to fight for space in the songs in the same yeah. way. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, but like I said, like we, we liked all those. We liked everybody that we played with, mm-hmm. more or less. <laughs> Playing wise, you know. Uh, Dale, this has been one of my favorite conversations I've ever gotten to have. Would you come back for what would probably be now considered, I guess, a part three? Oh yeah, anytime. Um, and this is, as I say, thank you so much for doing this. And and you're just like, you remain kind of like the the high watermark for how we should act as people in bands. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's very nice. Um, I'm, I'm really happy that you wanted to do this with me. I think you're a, a equally a great dude. And um, I look forward to seeing you at some point. I'm hoping that, uh, that uh, I'll see you in the summer. I think uh, coming up there with Red Cross and um, we're doing a show with uh, Buzz. Buzz has got a solo record coming out and we're doing a show together in Toronto. That's amazing. Oh, and also, I guess, like, before I let you go, like, do you have any plans to like bring back Altamont or, you know, any of the, anything like that? Well, I've, I've in the last couple of years started a, a, my own solo band <laughs> and put a record out a couple of years ago. I've got that record. Yeah. Right. I put that out and I'm like, man, I should, now I want to play this. I want to play live. And so I put together a band and, um, well, I talked, I talked Steve McDonald into playing with me, which is great. It's just, uh, and, um, and then uh, T- Toshi, who does Melvin's records, he was he was kind of in the later version of Altamont. Mm-hmm. We added we added him as second guitar and keyboards, um, and uh, so he plays with me. And then I have this this girl named Mindy Jorgensen that plays drums. And, oh, that's amazing! I, yeah. and are you guys are you going to start touring that out? Do you think? I'm hoping to. Yeah, yeah, we're working on something right now, and I'm also working on a new solo record that's that's going to be out hopefully in the summer. So. Amazing. Well, when that comes back, we'll do this part three. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, the Altamont dudes, we're still really good friends, but uh, hard for us because they live in San Francisco. I live here and they've got jobs and <laughs> I do this. And But, you know, I hope we do something again. You know, it's, it's, those guys are good, good friends. Thank you, Dale, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Dale's going to be back for that part three at some point. And uh, I'm stoked, you know. And that is who he is. He is that chill and that awesome. And here I was. I even fucked up the first time we were supposed to do that interview. I, I put it in wrong in my calendar. 
And he hit me up. He's like, yo, we're going to do this. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got the wrong date. And I was anyway, very cool, dude. <laughs> very, very cool. Very chill. And Buzz will be back for a part three, hopefully soon, too. You know, I can't wait to have Buzz back, too. So maybe get them together. Who knows? You know, we got we got some time to play with, I think. We got some time to play with. And because we have some time next week on the show, I'm going to be dropping not one and not two, but three. A three count week of Turn Out of Punk. Because in theory, next week was supposed to be that WrestleMania week where there was going to be all sorts of fun indie shows going on. And, and all these people have, have, you know, a storied past in wrestling or a storied present in wrestling. And I thought it was going to be some great booking on Turn Out of Punk's part. Well, WrestleMania is still happening in some capacity next week, and uh, I'm still going to be doing my WrestleMania week celebration next week as well. But we can all enjoy this from the safety of our own home. And, and you can enjoy that, I guess, from the safety of your own home too. But next week on Turned Out of Punk, starting it off, we're going to have one of my favorite wrestlers. I've seen him wrestle in numerous places. Um, he was supposed to be putting on, to me, the number one party that was going to be happening next week. Even more important to me than WrestleMania was trying to find a way to go down there and see this event. Effie. Effie's Big Gay Brunch is, of course, now canceled or postponed, I should say. It is postponed. And Effie, though, will definitely be on the show next week. If you have not heard of Effie, if you have not seen Effie, oh, my gosh. You've just found an unopened present under the tree. This is one of the... Uh, Ah, just one of the true joys of independent wrestling for me right now. And then after that, in the middle of the week, another true joy of independent wrestling. One of the great wrestlers for my money and many other people's money on the independent circuit today. A guy who is so proudly independent, so proudly labor that he is uh, working very hard to unionize wrestling as we speak. And we talk about his work there. David Starr is on the show Next week, a controversial wrestler, uh, a wrestler who certainly has not rubbed everyone the right way, but someone who has definitely done so many positive things in wrestling, including putting on some of the best matches, uh, some of the matches of the year last year, I think, in my opinion, are, or, or this year, I should say, are coming from this guy. Well, were until everything's that's happened. Uh, David Starr is an amazing wrestler. If you have not seen David Starr wrestle, please look him up. If you have not seen him speak on the microphone, look that up too. And if you've not seen his work in, in you know, the efforts of making sure that wrestling is safe, uh, a safe working environment for the people that participate in it, which is something that, believe me, I think we can all get behind. I know we all can get behind. Uh, David Starr is someone you need to check out. And then... To top off the week, many people uh, have asked me who this person was when I hinted at it on Twitter. A few of you guessed, a few of you guessed by looking into her book. Next week on the show, we've got, I'm going to say it right now, one of the most down hardcore kids, punk kids, I've ever had on this show. And one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. She's in the Hall of Fame. She's in many Hall of Fame. She broke down a lot of barriers. And her story, it's, it's, it's fucking fascinating. There's no other way to put it. Amy Dumas, known to many people by her in-ring name of Lita. She is someone who, as I said before, broke down a lot of barriers for women in professional wrestling. And someone who, oh my God. 
did a lot of cool stuff in punk rock. This is one to get excited for. They're all really something to get excited for next week. And we can, uh, you know, watch all of these great matches on the internet and listen to these podcasts and just, you know, pass the time. So I want to thank you all for listening. I want to uh, tell you all, please stay inside and stay safe and, and look out for your friends and family right now and, and vulnerable people right now. There's oh, a lot of fuckery going on. Um, and, uh, you know, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, love you all. Sign your organ donor cards and I'll, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Go, oh, make your own culture. Go make your own culture because it, it helps. It helps keep everyone, you know, sane and safe if you make art for yourself, you know. So anyway, go do that. Thank you.